Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Hi, everybody. I am Nick Frangioni, uh, director, producer, writer. Um, you might know my film, Buck Run, and uh, I'm currently working on my next film called Our Summer in Soying. Nick Frangioni, welcome to the Make It podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Anytime. And <laughs> as we are recording this, we have newly uh, taken the leap bravely into 2022. Oh my God. Yes. And yeah. there's been a lot of descriptors of 21. <laughs> One of the most common is where did it go? Uh, it went by really fast for a lot of people. I would, I would include myself in that group, but yeah. I would love to start since you are our first interview of 2022. Oh, cool. What a blessing. Yeah. I would love to start just by asking you how your 21 went. How would you describe it? 2021 was wild. It was great. Um, it was a lot of, it was sort of the culmination of several years of work since, um, since making Buck Run, where um, a lot of different ideas, business ideas, creative ideas, finally came together and, and actually materialized into something that we can actually do. <laughs> Whereas before there were years, there were years in between Buck Run and 2021 where like, there was a lot of struggle and, um, you know, trying to figure out how we were going to make the thing, the ideas that we had, Nancy, my, my fiance and my producing partner and I had, uh, the, make those ideas actually work and, and make a living at this. Yeah. I watched Buck Run. It came out in 19. Oh, cool. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was when we premiered at Pump Springs. We're definitely going to talk about Buck Run. I have a lot of questions around that. Uh, cool. Great work. I just, I just have to say that you have a beautiful eye Thank for you. telling a story. Uh, yeah. The thing that, uh, you know, doesn't show up in film school which is, as a director, how are you going to tell the story? Mm. Uh, are, are you going to be as esoteric like Terrence Malick? Are you going to be, you know, how are you going to be? Yeah. And uh, I have to say, I, I liked your eye. And uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that in a second. But I want to go back a little bit before that, maybe a lot yeah. bit before that. Who, who was young Nick? <laughs> who was young Nick? And, and, and most importantly, was there a moment that sticks out to you where you said, I'm going to try for filmmaking instead of for dance, which is you were brought mm -hmm. up around dance with your mother. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I never actually dance was like something that scared the hell out of me. I, my mom told me that I should become a dancer. She was, she's actually what she said to me was, she was like, if you want to have, if you want to have relationships, like if you want to be with get girls, you should learn how to dance. <laughs> and I was like terrified. 
And I went to some of her classes, but I was so, I felt like such a ragamuffin, you know, I never had like the dancer, you know, like clothes, which I could have gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I went to a few classes, but I never learned what I did end up doing was a lot of acting. So young Nick was really like an actor. And I thought that I would make a living as an actor. I thought that was going to be my thing. Yeah. And I was, um, doing a lot of that in a lot of indie films. That was sort of my, that's where I came from. And I was just kind of a ragamuffin, like, uh, you know, bohemian kid in, in San Francisco. That was where I really started. Yeah, because you, you made that drive out to San Francisco when you were 18 years old. Yes. And we'll talk about that down the line in a moment. Yeah. Between the time your mom unfortunately passed away yeah. when you're about 14. Yeah. And then in between to 18. Yeah. Were you getting the itch then? Or was that more oh, the filmmaking or, itch? Or were, right. Or were you more sort of insular at that moment and, and it all hit you like a ton of bricks? I had no idea. I mean, I grew up in a small town. I didn't even, when I looked at movies, all I saw was what was on the screen. So I didn't even think about filmmaking. I thought about filmmaking. Um, no, that, that, those, that time between my mother, when my mother passed away and when I drove to San Francisco was just really awful. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I didn't think about filming until I was in San Francisco and a San Francisco filmmaker that I became friends with was like, if you want to act, you should just make your own stuff. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, no one's going to cast you. And especially in San Francisco. He's like, there's no movies up here. So, you know, you should, you should make stuff. It's going to be really hard. It's gonna be really hard to get cast. And I was like, Oh, okay. So, um, so I started making things and he was, he was like, yeah, you should direct it and you should write it and you should edit it. And I just found it to be a more all encompassing experience directing a film. Yeah. People have taken that path. It, it seems to work for, for, for some folks I think yeah. it's funny because in my experience, the people in the financing world want to be filmmakers and actors and the <laughs> filmmakers and actors want to have um, uh, money stress go away the way uh-huh. that VCs and investors have a, a low money stress. And yeah. so in San Francisco, there are a lot of VCs that have producer on their bio <laughs> or in their resume where they've been part of a film here or there. And now they're a producer uh, without having to be on the ground, you know, every day sort of reading scripts and trying to do development work. Yeah. Um, so, hey, that to me, that's that's accurate of that of that Bay Area scene as well. Do you agree, or or am I talking shit here? Yeah, the the Bay. I mean, it was really like um, I got I came up with like indie uh, the Bay Area indie filmmakers. That was my whole, that was, that was the whole thing. And, and I came up with Bay area actors and you're, you're right. I mean, cause you, if you try to make a movie in the Bay area, you have to wear like a jillion hats. You can't just, my very first feature film, we literally had three crew members. Yeah, It was me, uh, the DP and a guy that did camera and uh, that did lights and sound, <laughs> which was a mistake by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, you have to, you have to sort of, you know, wear multiple hats and there's a big blend. How did you get the opportunity to direct Roxy in, in 14? I, um, I went to an acting school in San Francisco. Um, and the actors that were there, they were doing this improv every Tuesday night. We'd have this, this studio where you kind of, you kind of like, you know, work stuff out. And they, um, they developed this whole story mm. in this improvisation. And at one point they asked me, I was kind of like the resident 
filmmaker guy because I had made two short films. (laughs) (laughs) That was like the the qualifier. Right, yeah. And they said, you know, why don't we make this into a short film? And I was just kind of an idiot at the time. I was very naive. And I was like, well, you know, screw it. Let's make a feature. Why don't we just make a feature? How hard can it be? Can't be that hard. And it was really (laughs) hard. It was really, really hard. Yeah. Um, And they, but but they really like, we all just kind of invested in it in in a myriad of ways. Um, and that it took, it was just like a, you know, couple years of shooting literally on weekends. Yeah. It's wild. I, it, I still, I haven't. So in full disclosure, I haven't seen that. I'm, no, it's I'm, fine. I think it's on Tubi. I'm looking around for it. Yeah. It's not, a, it's, it's not, it, but I'm going to, I'm going to watch it, but I definitely saw, saw Buck run. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, to your point, I, I think that somewhere people know it's a difficult slog to make an independent feature film and to have a limited budget potentially and limited cast and limited crew. But that really doesn't sum up the toll it takes on the filmmakers quality of life and their family. And we have a lot of filmmakers were around a couple of them, I I believe to be absolute auteurs Mm -hmm. and they're terrified a little bit to jump back in to the fray because of the kind of body blows they took in the one and a half to two years it takes to make a film, develop it, shoot it, post, distribute it. And then meanwhile, they're getting easy checks or easier checks Mm -hmm. doing commercial work, music videos, et cetera. They're paying their rent. They're doing their thing, you know? So it's like, man, you know, like, but you really should be making a feature because that's what you're really great at. And you, and you tell these amazing stories. How do I get you back in here and promise you that it's not going to, you know, push you to the edge again. Um, Buck run is about as far away from this as I could imagine. And those in the audience, if you want to watch it, you would, it'd be a treat. It won best feature at Flickr's Rhode Island festival, Fayetteville film festival has some other wins as well. But just going back to your mom briefly for a moment as a, as a choreographer, yeah. you see yourself making a musical in the future? That's what I'm doing. In honor of your mom? That's literally what I'm doing, yes. The next film, Our Summer in Soying, is a, it's, a, it's a modern dance musical. So they don't sing. They break into dance. I did not dance. know that, man. Wow. Yeah. They, don't, they don't sing. They, they dance. But, um, and it's, it's, about, it's about my mom. And it's, it's shot. We're shooting it in Taiwan. And it's about her, our last trip that we took together to Taiwan. Can you give me, okay, so, so, so the, are you going to act in this? No. Okay. No. I don't okay. think, I, I don't know when I'll act again. Maybe I will. I don't know. No, I enjoy it far more behind the camera, but. Right. Yeah. yeah. Man, this is awesome. So how, how do you plan to pull off the dancing without the singing? I, I grew up with dancing without, without, I, without singing. So I, I don't even think about it. <laughs> I do. I grew up with watching modern dance performances. So that to me is what dancing is. I didn't really grow up with like watching musical theater. I mean, they did do, my mother did do cabaret. Um, yeah. but I, I, I think that there's, um, it's the same concept, right? When emotions get really high, that's the whole concept of musicals. Emotions get really high. We break into song. It's the same concept with this. When emotions get really high, they just break into dance and that's, and that's it. Okay. 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 <laughs> that's that's the it. whole thing. Yeah. Th- th- there's a foreign film vibe to that, 
to that sort of sure. tone. Sure. And I, I think about In the Heights, where those characters, yeah. most of the time, were talking their way through being sing-songy while they're dancing, right? Yeah. Uh, versus just belting songs or right. the premise being music, like in La La Land, for example. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, th- this, this is going to be a challenging concept, really interesting. Yeah. But coming from someone who gets it, like yourself, and grew up with yeah. it, this yeah. is going to be super exciting. I, I can't wait to learn more about this offline. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we talked about you, you making the drive or, or being driven out to San Francisco. Yeah. At 18. Father. Now, what this audience doesn't know is that's no small feat. You're from Pennsylvania. Yeah, small so town, this was this was a complete culture shift, culture change. This is East Coast to West Coast. This yeah. is a massive time zone switch, yeah. and you're doing it at 18. Yeah, uh, you attended the Sanford Meisner Technique School of Acting. So, yeah. what was that conversation like with your dad? Because he drove you, right? Did he drive he you? He was drive great. You? No, we drove together. He was great. I mean, he, my both of my parents are from California. I had a weird, weird upbringing because they're both, my father's from Pasadena and my mom's from Antioch. Yeah. And my mom taught dance at Bucknell, which is like a very, you know, it's like conservative rural Pennsylvania, but there's this liberal bastion that's there that my, that Mm -hmm. I grew up in. Mm -hmm. So they were fine. I mean, my, my, at that point it was just my father, but I think my my mother assumed I would leave um, before she passed away. But my father was like, yeah, let's go to San Francisco. Why not? Totally. He was great. Yeah, yeah he, he was totally into it. Supported you and went. Yeah. So how did you pick that area though instead of staying in SoCal? I was afraid of LA, to be totally honest. Well, how I'd come? Be, you got to you got to break I was that terrified. Down. I thought I just thought like I had no idea how to break into the industry there. San Francisco just seemed like a much easier place and much more accepting place to mm-hmm. start. It seemed like I mean like New York terrified me. Um, Philly terrified me and, and LA terrified me. I just thought like, I'm going to get eaten alive. I, 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 my, I had a feeling that the rejection that you, that you face when you first try to get into the industry would be too much to handle for me at that age. Yeah. I thought I need to go to a place that I can like be let in. Would you, would you recommend that today? Like has San Francisco changed too much in your mind or? Would you recommend it's someone so techie now, but there? Um, well, recommend it to, to, to fit people that want to become, that want to work in the industry. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you don't get stuck. Okay. You know, like if you're, if you're going there because you want to get into the industry, I don't know that San Francisco is a place where you can, I, I know there's a couple people that live up there who I know have, have broken into some things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if it's a launching pad for you, then let it be a launching pad. And then when you're ready to move, make the move. To L.A. or to L.A. or New York or, or something York. like that. Yeah. Got it. Where are you yeah. now, by the way? I'm in L.A. Remind me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. That's, what I, that's yeah. what I thought. Do you, yeah. rec- do you recommend uh, Meisner to new actors? Oh, yeah. The Meisner or, technique is great. It's can great. you break it down for those listening that might be wanting to get, in, to get into, might want to get into acting, excuse me, yeah. And don't know which school, which book. Yeah, to the dive Meisner, into first. The Meisner technique is um, it's great. It trains you to be like moment to moment. That's the whole first half of the whole. It's a two year program, and you really just you you get trained how to be in the moment and not be in your head. Yeah, and I found that to be really important because I have a lot of 
I, I was extremely nervous. Um, just as a person, <laughs> I was extremely, I mean, you can tell that from me saying that I, that I didn't want to move to LA right away. Cause it freaked me out. Yeah. I was really nervous as a person. So to act on stage or like in front of a camera was really terrifying. But if I could just be with that other person, I don't have to think about that problem. Um, and then once it gets you to be able to be moment to moment, then it it's, helps you break things down in a way that isn't so manipulated. It's like helping you break things down emotionally. So like, it's not like a beat, but it's, they, they break things down into doings. I know a lot of actors will break things down into beats or you learn that. Yeah. Um, they'll break it down into a doing. So if I'm like right now, what I'm doing is explaining something and mm. you just, now you, you, you qualify, you put that into every line. What am I doing in this line? So now I'm not only am I in the moment, but I'm doing something with my line. I'm, I'm taking action with my line. So it has purpose behind it. At the very least, it has something behind it. So is it pro improv? You know, I feel like, I feel like if you improv with the Meister technique, it's, it's cause it, it's about so much about repetition. Okay. And I don't think people really talk like that. Yeah. Um, so I think people do improv with the Meister technique, but I don't think it really works. <laughs> I don't think it leads anywhere. I think it's, um, it can be very, rep, rep, you know, it can be a lot of repetition and it's weird. Yeah. I, we have a past guest, Matt Williams, who's mm. an actor and, and just did a lead role. And one of the things he layered on top of his sort of study was he took, I believe he took six months worth of improv classes at third coast comedy Oh, great. And just to see what that was like. I don't know if he was good. Uh, I don't know if there is a good. I guess good is just how how fast is your retort and how funny is it? Yeah. Uh, but as an actor, I don't know how it necessarily helps you unless, you know, you have the freedom from the director to, to do it, to push those limits. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 That's I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I th it's, it's fascinating to me. I could talk about that part of it all day. Uh, yeah. so, so you're up in the Bay area, you're, you're learning how to act and then yeah. suddenly something snaps and hits you. Uh, I got to make my own stuff to get into the film. Yeah. How did you learn how to direct? I, it was trial by fire. The guy, this, this filmmaker, Eric Escobar was his name. He was, um, uh, a Sundance filmmaker who was really amazing. And he was making a, a film and he, he was holding auditions and I was completely wrong for the part. And he was like, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, but I was like, I really want to meet you. Cause not a lot of directors came through San Francisco like that. So it's like, I really want to meet you at the very least. And he met with me and yeah, that was when he told me you should just make your own stuff. And he actually ended up producing the first short film that I ever made. So he got all the, he got all the, you know, the gear. Mm -hmm. um, and he was just like, yeah, just do it. He helped me write. I, I wrote the short film for like a year. And then he, uh, he produced, he produced it for me. And he was just there with me on set and just sort of gave me, you know, tips and, kind of helped, you know, in a very fluid way, help guide me. Um, oh, that's, that's amazing. So almost, almost mentorship for you. Yes. Very much so. Very much and so. Because I remember the first thing that Nick and I shot down in Atlanta and what we did, we went into it knowing that we were going to make countless errors <laughs> because we didn't yeah. know what we didn't know. We had no clue how this was going to go. Yeah. We, it was a comedy special. We didn't even know if the comedian was going to be funny because <laughs> we yeah. couldn't get a consistent hit from this guy. Like he was funny this night, not funny that night. So yeah. we get in there and we say, you know what, no matter what, 
We're going to go through it. And then everything we want to see happen better, let's write it down on a pad. By the end of the night, we had like two columns of new rules, new things. And it, and because we had learned how to learn years ago in different careers and different areas of focus, right. we were able to take a giant leap between that moment and the next thing we filmed, which was, yeah. which was an award-winning short. So I think that um, it sounds like you did that because there's just... There's, oh my God, there's yeah. no way you can go from, you know, I don't know what I'm doing on this short film to what you did with Buck Run. Sure. That, that sure. seems like a giant gap and giant leap. So what was your, what was your learning process after that first short or two? How did you, how were you able to kind of go through and check mark? Ooh, that didn't work. That worked. That didn't work. I think the biggest mistake that I was making was I was really, I really thought that movies were all about acting. Okay. Because I had studied acting. So I thought, well, if the performances are good, then the movie will be good. And I had no concept about all of the technical aspects of movie making. No concept of, no concept about how it should be. Like you, when you shoot a movie, you're telling a, a whole story just in the way that you shoot it yeah. and the sound design and everything. So um, I was really actor focused. And because I was so actor focused, actually, I actually struggled with directing actors <laughs> because I... <laughs> Because I was so focused on that. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to create an environment around them that just allowed for good performance. I was just like nitpicking about everything and it, and it, we would go down these weird avenues and it wouldn't mm -hmm. work. So I learned that I, I figured that out that I was doing that. And I, um, realized that, you know, telling it, uh, making a film has a lot to do with the way that you shoot it. It's a visual storytelling, you know, medium. So I need to, I need to learn how to shoot movies. Um, and, um, I mean, I learned how to write better. Um, and God, I think, the, I think those are the main things. That's the main stuff. I think that main, that mainly I learned that, yeah, I was too focused on performance, especially coming into Buck Run where I'm working with these veteran actors who have been in like a jillion things. Right. How Great could guess. I come into that? How could I come into that process and think that I can tell them how they should or shouldn't perform? It doesn't make any sense. So it just completely blew my whole concept of what directing meant wide open. Cause I'm like, I can't approach this movie this way, yeah. this way that I've been thinking it just won't work. Yeah. So it's it, really all been all about how do I create an environment around the actors such that it, that the performances just happen. How can I facilitate things more so than how do how can I make something happen? The more you try to make something happen, the worse it gets, I think. Great. Because you're great just forcing advice. something. <laughs> no, that's great advice. The director's yeah. kind of like the CEO in a way. Yeah. At least the co-CEO with the lead producer, maybe the line producer. Right. That's you're not really supposed to, you know, jam everything home yourself. No. Stress it's yourself. Awful. Out. Yeah. It's awful. I would drink a six pack every night that we shot Roxy. <laughs> Literally, somebody would bring me a six pack at the end of the day because I was so stressed. It was awful. I don't. I don't deny it at all. That's that sounds about right to me <laughs> uh, for first time directing for sure. Yeah. Um, do you have a north star for directing? Is there someone you said to yourself, mm. "Damn, that's a great director," and if I can get there, you know? Mm. I always really love. Um, uh, I always mispronounce her name, Louise uh, Archambault, the, the French Canadian director. 
um, like I love the film. I love the indie, the film Gabrielle. It's like, okay. I think it's just like the perfect film. Um, I thought it's really, it's very poetic. I like, I like it cause it's very poetic. It's very, um, it's beautiful. It's heartfelt. It's authentic, but it's not, it's not like super raw and realistic just for the purposes of being raw and realistic. It yeah, has a yeah. sense of magic to it. So is that uh, based on a book? I don't know. I have no idea if it was or not. Can't, I can't put my finger on. I'll, I'll research yeah. it. I'll, I'll have our yeah. crack uh, team over here look up yeah. that film and, and find out if uh, that is, in fact, the case. They're yeah. just to the. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're on it. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll get we'll get to the bottom of that that right away. Um, yeah. Buck Run. I want to get okay. to it. Sure. We said we were going to talk about it. Came out in 2019. Yeah. And I found myself, you know, as I'm watching it, having so many thoughts, both about the film, a lot about Nolan Lyons' performance. Mm-hmm. I love Nolan. That I thought was tremendous. And um, it was very personal to me, just kind of like going through it, thinking about the film as it sits as an indie film, knowing what that was like, knowing what some of your struggles were. And I hope I can ask you some of these things just as a benefit to the audience yeah. and not, not myself, but I'm curious what the, what the budget was. Mm-hmm. If you can give me a range. I know you, uh, I don't want to put you on front street where you have to give me an exact number, but what was the range of, of this film budget wise? I think that when we shot it, we were at somewhere between 500 and 600 thousand or maybe a little less but i think when we finished we were at 800 or somewhere in that range somewhere between 500 thousand and a million yeah between and, there yeah yeah and that's what i thought too and I, I i kept saying to myself you know if if i if i could ask nick this what would you do differently if you had let's <laughs> say one to two million extra mm-hmm. in budget mm-hmm. so just for the benefit of this audience filmmakers that are listening if your budget was 2.5 to 3.5, how would the film have been different? Oh man, that's a good question. I think that I probably would have, I think that if, I think that when you, when you're able to get that kind of budget, Mm -hmm. one of the things that would happen is there would be more development Time. I think the biggest thing that we were lacking with Buck Run was development. We had a script, you know, we raised private equity money and we made it and we were yeah. like, great. And then what we ran into was having to do reshoots. Um, so I feel like when, you know, when you, when you raise the budget to that level, then, then you can develop it differently. And then I think if I had been able to develop it differently, then, um, God, who, who knows what it would have become. I think I just would have been able to figure out, I think that I would have been able to figure out what I was trying to say faster yeah. and maybe would have been more efficient at doing it because there's, I think what happened is I, I figured out what I was trying to say as I was making the movie and after the fact. And yeah. so then we had to go back and we had, we had to piecemeal some things together. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that was probably the toughest part of that film because there was a lot of repressed stuff going on. You know, yeah. I mean, it was a, it, the, the story, the story that it was dealt with a lot of stuff that was repressed in me. 
yeah development <laughs> development might allow you to like you know really pull those things out of yourself before you even get on set yeah i i watched the movie and was dumbfounded by how parallel the movie was to the research we were doing to prepare for this conversation about me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was, and even, even though you didn't write, it, it felt like you no. wrote the movie. And I rewrote it. I mean, I ended yeah. up rewriting. I added a lot of things and it was completely, I mean, the way the movies cut was a completely different way than it was written. Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, I mean, the original script was written by David who also grew up in small town, Pennsylvania. Right. You could tell because yeah. Pennsylvania <laughs> ended up being the character in the movie. Yeah, totally. And it's, and it's in its own right. And yeah. uh, I, I left, and please take this the right way, because I mean it. Sure. I mean it in the, I've been in your shoes, I'm in your shoes, we're doing this thing together every day, trying to make this work. Yeah. I, I, the, I, the movie ended and I thought, this movie was maybe $1 million and maybe one cast change, which is, I know, a difficult thing for me to say, because mm. everybody was great in it, from being Nomadland. Right. Right. I get what you mean by that. Like yeah. it, it, it had a Nomadland feel to it. It's every, it, every bit of it could have was as good as, as that mm. just without the, the, the theatrical run and the mm-hmm. buzz that you would get from um, not a better actor, but an actor with a better name, maybe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is yeah. a really tough choice to, to have to make sometimes as a filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, you, do you get what I'm saying there? Yeah, I mean, we were, it was heartbreaking. And what, I mean, we got, we got like, we'd get shortlisted mm-hmm. when it was after we got shortlisted at a few of those really kind of blow the doors open film festivals, but didn't get in. Wow. Um, we got into Palm Springs, which is great. It's a top 12 film festival in the world. Yeah. It was really amazing. You, ki- but, you, you kicked ass there too. Yes. We, and we did, we had a great festival run, but it was like, it was like, you know, you got really close to some things, but didn't, it didn't happen. So I know yeah. I totally get what you mean by that. Yeah. When you went out to try to do marketing and mm-hmm. branding for the film, did you start in pre-pro or did you start in post? No, that was a huge mistake. That was one of the things that we didn't know. We 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 didn't have a sales agent. We didn't have any kind of any kind of um, we didn't do any work on that because we didn't know. Yeah. All we were thinking about was let's let's see if we can make the movie. And I'd learned a lot of mistakes from indie filmmakers that I was around, I was like, well, I can, I know what I can do differently with an indie film. Um, but we did, I did not know about that. I didn't know that you could pre-sell. I didn't know that you could get like a, you know, a, a publicity on board or a sales agent, any of that stuff. I had no idea. And none of us knew. Yeah. It's, it's something that we preach about a lot and That's we'll great. hear from directors that say, well, I'm not a social media guy or gal, and you know, I'm not going to do that every day. So that's fine, but you got to do something. Yeah. And we got to put some sort of strategy together because when you try to do this in post with everything else that happens in post, it's going to be, it's going to be too late and you're going to be out of money. You're not going to have contingency. There's not even a line item for marketing on the, on the whole budget. So you can get yourself into some, some big trouble as a filmmaker. You you can jam yourself up yeah, uh, because somebody has to know that you made this movie so that, so that they can, that they can go, you know, watch it. Um, what social media site, if any, that you used gave you the most bang for your buck? Probably Facebook with this movie. I think because it's, because it, um, 
you know, because it deals with small town America. And I think small town America is most predominantly on Facebook. Unfortunately, it's, it's proven to be an unfortunate <laughs> reality, but I think most people are, I think most people looked at it through Facebook, but um, I think at the festivals, Instagram helped. Mm-hmm. Um, I just never, you know, you're like you say, like I never got into Twitter. I still haven't. So, um, so we, we were predominantly using those two, but I think Facebook was the biggest at that time too. I think it's shifted over the couple, this last couple of years, yeah. people's attention with Facebook or desire yeah. to be on it. I think Facebook's got to be the right place for your audience for that particular film. Yeah. Whereas it's very clearly TikTok for our summer in, in Soyin. Mm-hmm. I've heard that now. And yeah. And, you know, TikTok gets more eyes than YouTube, which is an astonishing thing to say. More yeah. videos are uploaded to YouTube daily than one can watch in their entire lifetime. I believe that was the stat that I read. Yeah. So it's almost mind boggling. It's like trying to conceptualize in your mind the gravitational pull of a black hole. <laughs> you, just, like, you just can't do it without kind of driving yourself a little nutty yeah. and, and feeling like you're in a simulation. Yeah. Uh, speaking of a simulation, you know, Facebook has turned into meta now and they're going right. to do the metaverse. And I just read that someone bought some real estate in the metaverse for $2.1 million. And so they're going to have this business, I think, there where they're going to be able to sell like badges and different things for your avatar through the virtual business. This is a really mind-boggling thing. Yeah. So it started making me think, how much would it cost to buy a billboard for your movie in a virtual space? Oh, as sure. a form of marketing in the next 10 years, two years, even. Right. Like that's right. an interesting play. And this is coming from, you know, my background being sort of this brand and marketing strategist for films. Yeah. Imagine if you've ever played sort of Grand Theft Auto GTA and these right. buses drive by and cars drive by. And then when it drives by, it has your film name on it right. and your branding. But right. you have to pay for that. Right. Sure. Yeah. So, you go back to, you know, your accountant and your producer to say, yeah, I spent uh, 20 grand on marketing uh, in the metaverse. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that's, I didn't even, I don't really understand what the metaverse is, to that, but that's an interesting. Um, it's a virtual, virtual world, it's, Nick. It's a and, world. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets a lot of eyeballs as it turns out. Right. So my guess is that in five years, if you bought an ad there. Right probably a hundred million people might see it. Right. That's a lot of bang for your buck as well. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. I'm spitballing here. Uh, no, that's great. Back to you. Sure. I, uh, the thing I, I went through all these reviews of, of buck run and oh, yeah. I, so many of them glowing, some great articles. Yeah. Uh, some folks asking about the ending, the final scene of buck sure. run where you sort of have Nolan, uh, Lions again, great performance by that young man, and yeah. he just kind of is looking up at uh, his father. Yeah, and I'm curious what you were trying to, what you were trying to get out of Nolan in that he sort of subtly mm. changes his expression, but not very much. You linger on him for a second, and then we cut to black. Yeah, what what was your intent with the ending there? I, my the whole the whole idea with the ending was because I think that it happens a lot with movies. When you have a movie like this, 
and, it, and this dawned on me later. This is something that I was ignorant about with films like this, where you, it's a it's kind of a trope or where you have a, a, a like a boy, a teen boy, trying to overcome something with either his father or with a bully. Yeah. This has happened a lot with indie films. And usually what happens is that the boy either finally like defeats his father physically or he defeats the bully or he gets in a fight with the bully and he loses, but he at least stands up for himself. It's sort of this machismo, it feels like a kind of machismo thing. Um, and I just didn't have that experience. I never, but somebody once, I, somebody I knew in recent years told me that it's really unfortunate that I never got punched as a kid mm-hmm, growing yeah. up. Cause he's like, you don't know how to become a man if you don't get punched, which I thought, is that really what qualifies us to become adults? Especially if you're a man is, do you become a man by doing something violent or by having something violent happen to you? Mm. Um, so I, it really more what I was trying to say with the film was that he becomes an adult by way of acceptance. He accepts something. He finally sits down with his dad. He eats, he eats the, the deer meat that he doesn't really want, but he does it. <laughs> and he just accepts his dad for who he is. Right. Cause you can't really defeat your parents. Your parents are your parents. Yeah. No matter how messed up they are. Yeah. Like you, they already had you, you already lost. <laughs> if you're trying to beat your parents, they had you, they raised you, it's done. You know, you're an adult now and you accept them. Um, it doesn't mean that you condone or like what they do or get along with them even, but you accept who they are. So that was the whole point was acceptance. That's beautifully put. And it yeah. makes me think about the reason why there isn't any person that can be sort of Jesus-like or God-like because mm. in, in those books in those tales stories gospel however you want to say it jesus god whoever is is able to love unconditionally but the parent and child relationship precludes you from loving someone the way you love your child Mm. unconditionally Mm. so it's impossible it's the it's the limitation we have as individuals as men i can never love you nick as much as i love you i can never love you like i love my my three kids and sure so therefore i can't love you unconditionally sure. but i can love you strong but i just can't right. love you <laughs> unconditionally and i think the the you know parents and kids need to and i think this is kind of a nice little segue into my next question but mm. i think parents and kids need to understand that that they're all they really have in the world in terms yeah. of unconditional love, the love trumps other types of love that are out there and it does it naturally. Mm, can't beat yes. your parents is a great line, Nick. So I you can't it's win. It's perfectly over. put. And I think it works <laughs> vice versa as well. You right? lost. <laughs> yeah. some, some, your, your kid can do something treacherous and you'll be the first in line to make a hundred excuses for him or her. Right. Say, no, you don't really know. So-and-so this, yeah, I know she chopped the heads off of three people. That's not really her. I grew up with her every day. So, you know, that's, yeah. that's parents and kids for you. Um, yeah. Speaking of those reviews I read yeah. in almost every interview you did, every mm-hmm. review I read, you spoke about, or they talked about the parallels of the storyline between Buck Run and your own life and yes. how you basically are, are the Nolan Lyons character. And, and, you know, you, you're having a deal with, accepting who your father is after your mom passes. Um, What impact did did the movie have on your own father when he saw it? Um, I think that what the impact, the impact overall was just that 
Because my father actually, in reality, is very different from William, aside from the fact that when my mother passed away, we had to kind of renegotiate our relationship and figure out mm. what it meant to be in a relationship. And we were thrust into it because my mother was a huge force in my life right. and in his life. And, you know, she was the breadwinner. Um, and also my mom exposed, similarly to in Buck Run, my mom exposed me and to a whole different world. And when she went away, because she was a very international choreographer, when, when she died, I was like, oh my God, all I have right now is small town Pennsylvania. That's mm. my whole world. And my father and I were in it together. So I think that he got to see, we got to have a relationship where we were both able to understand that we both grieved. Like I just had blamed him from the moment that my mother passed away. I was just mad at him for years. I have no idea why I was just grieving. And I just put a lot of blame on him because I didn't know where to put blame. So I put blame on my father and put anger on my father. And I right. think we were just able to reconcile. We've never, we've never been as close as we have been since making that film and since he saw it. What, what, what was the film, the catalyst of that growth together or was it yes. something else? No, that was definitely the catalyst because when I was prepping to do it, I realized, I remember turning to, I remember the moment that I turned to Nancy as I was working on the, on digesting the script and how I was going to direct it. And I looked at her and I said, Oh, my father grieved. Like my father was in pain too, that my mother passed away. And she was like, yeah, of course. <laughs> but I didn't yeah. see that. I didn't get like, this was his wife of yeah. 20 plus years who he formed a family with and he lost her. Yeah. yeah. And he was imperfect after it, but you know, so was I. <laughs> yeah. That, that, uh, my mom passed in, in 2007. Oh. And I remember saying and feeling, uh, well, I said some insensitive things to my dad and, um. uh, without really realizing they were insensitive, because I, because of what you just said, I lost my mom. Yeah. You didn't lose your wife of 35 years. Right. And it took me a while to kind of understand um, that balance. That was, that was, uh, I was a tough person to be around and I didn't like to grieve outwardly. So mm -hmm. I cried alone at night uh, in the bed, uh, but, yeah. but, but was steely faced you know, during the day, my dad couldn't do that. Right. He's outwardly grieving. So it was, oh, wow. um, it, it was a, it was a tough time that reminded me of that though. We, we get in, we, we grieve as if we're the only one grieving. And then yeah, we don't know why we do that. around us close. I don't yeah. know why we do that. It's silly. Maybe it's just a, maybe it's the only way you can do it or something. I have no idea. I don't think you get a lot of practice grieving. That's why that's like you, you that's do, do it one time and it's like, Oh, well, that's why. I don't How do I do handle this? How do I do yeah. this? Yeah. I, yeah. You, you just, you just don't know. You just don't know what you don't know about it. So yeah. Thank you so much for that. That was, um, that was great. Brought up, brought up some interesting memories for me, uh, as sure. well. Sure. Uh, by the way, for the audience's sake, when Nick says Nancy, he means Nancy. Oh, Degnan, yes. yes. Your Nancy fiance, Degnan. but also your producing partner. We're going to talk about her a little yeah. bit later in just a few moments, but now, it's time for the speed round. Oh, God. <laughs> and <laughs> some speed round questions for you. And okay. I'll start with uh, the one we ask almost of everyone. Yeah. Because the answers are so interesting and diverse. What are the two best pieces of advice you've received so far in your career? And who yeah. did they come from? Yeah, the, I, 
there's two things come to mind, right? There's one, David Barker, who edited Buck Run, so an acclaimed, amazing editor and filmmaker yes. himself. Yes. Um, he told me when we were editing the film, he said, people don't come to see movies to see perfection. They come to have an experience, mm. which I thought was really brilliant. And I've held on to that because you get so obsessed with like, if only I had more money or if only I had, if only this, if I, you really want, especially in editing, you're like, this scene has to be perfect and that scene has to be perfect. And you miss the whole, you miss that it's it, the, the sum of is greater than the, you know, I, I can't remember the phrase, but you want the whole to be better than the, the just the parts. Right. The um, sum is greater than its parts. Yep. Yes. Um, you're, if you focus on what, what is the experience that the audience is having versus how do I make every moment of this movie perfect? Uh, you, you're just going to, it's going to be an easier, you, at, at the very least, you're going to have an easier time, but you're right. probably going to make a better film because <laughs> <laughs> no film is perfect. It's not a perfect art form. So, yeah. Um, and then the, I remember um, James Legro who plays William, you know, this, this very veteran actor. I Tremendous. was sitting with him. I was sitting with him afterwards. We were at a cafe on Beachwood in LA and we came to him and we were like, oh, we need to do some ADR for the movie. And he said to me, he was like, you know, making the movie, when you make it, especially an indie movie in particular, when you make an indie movie, it's like climbing Mount Everest. Mm -hmm. And when you finish the movie, it's like you've gotten to the summit, you've gotten to the peak, but now you got to get back down the mountain to Kilimanjaro without dying. You got to survive <laughs> the, the, the descent. Yeah. You're not done yet. Um, and that was like, cause I felt done. Yeah. I really did. When we shot the movie, I was like, great. We did. I had no idea what was, what was to come in the next like year of post-production, et yeah, cetera. That's, that's something we, that we always talk about in our indie Good. talks is this Good. idea that when we engage initially with a filmmaker, they're pitching hard and the film and the thing they've written is their baby. They've worked on it for two or three years. Usually it might yeah. be the only thing they ever get to shoot. And when it's over, they'll just give their baby to anybody because they're <laughs> exhausted. It's done. Please <laughs> take it. Hey, please take my baby. <laughs> please do, so, do something with it. I'm done with this. Yeah. Uh, so it, it is, it's an exhausting thing to get to the summit. You see the sky up there. The air is a little bit thinner. You see the whole world for what it is. You take it in, take a deep breath, yeah. and you start going back down. And it's yeah. just critical that you have the juice that you planned to come back down, right? A lot of times the mm. plan was to get to the top, to get to the summit. That's and then did. you didn't actually pack enough energy bars and protein <laughs> shakes to get down. Yeah. So yeah. that's... Yeah. You end up like Jack Nicholson at the end of The Shining, like <laughs> frozen. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. On the mountainside. <laughs> what, are the, uh, what are the biggest creative and business mistakes you see newcomers making? Oh, I'm sure you're around a lot of I crew I and filmmakers regularly. You said business mistakes. What was the other mistakes? Creative and business. Oh, creative. Creative for sure. The biggest creative mistake that I see people make is I feel like they don't get to the core of what they're trying to say in the movie. And that's a big problem. You know, like I remember um, there was a, uh, uh, there's a filmmaker who has his, his just, you know, like, yeah, I, I just go to see films and I go, this is, there's a built in misogyny in this, or there's a built in, <laughs> Yeah. And you're not getting it. And 
it's a big problem. It's a problem that somebody's allowed you to make that movie in the first place, I suppose, but it's also a problem that you're not getting what's at the core of this and you're not transforming it. You're not doing anything about it. Yeah. Um, I think that when you creatively, when you make a movie, the, the biggest creative thing that you should be able to do is figure out what you're trying to say. That is huge. And transform it. It's huge. It's very nuanced what you just said as well. And I can apply this back to learning how to be a better songwriter back when mm. I did it music exclusively. And there would be a difference. I, I had a singing group and another person in the group would like to write songs. And in all of his songs, there would be something missing. And I'd say, you know, maybe you don't win. Maybe you shouldn't win. If you're the protagonist in the song, maybe you shouldn't win in every song. Right. Like we got to figure out what you're trying to say. Right. Like, how is this different from the next? Because we were doing pop R&B. How is this different from the next pop R&B song out there? Because what you've reduced us to is who can sing better, us or the next group? Because we're not saying anything. Right. right. We don't want to be in that game. Because no. we can't sing as good as Johnny Gill or whoever else is out there. Like, right. your boys to men or whoever. Right. Like, like, and maybe we can get close, but we don't want to be in that kind of game. Yeah, yeah. Because then, because yeah. the market already has that. That's, a, that's another concept, Nick, that uh, maybe <laughs> we'll talk about on an indie talk in the future is right. a lot of times if you're trying to do something like someone, it's a problem because yeah. that already exists in the market. It's done. And, and then that product's already been paid for and risk and accountability has already been loaded into that person doing that thing. Yeah. So we don't need another person to do that thing. Yeah. Like, I think if another rapper has little in front of their name, I'm going to stab myself <laughs> in the neck. Like, I just can't have another, I can't have another rapper with little whatever, little Nick, yeah. little Chris, <laughs> little this, little, no more, no more. Yeah. So yeah. Other, other adjectives to describe your, please. how diminutive you are, please. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. Any, any business mistakes you noticing out there? Uh, business mistakes. I mean, I made, I made them of not, you know, not dealing with how to, that's a huge one. And I'm really glad that you guys, you like that, that that's something you're talking about because if you're not prepping for the, for the climbing down the mountain, that's a big mistake. And I think that's what a lot of people do yeah. is they, 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 it's so hard to just make the movie in the first place that you, you put all your effort into that and you're not even thinking about what's next. Editing is a huge, I mean, the way you edit a film is so is so important, and yep. how you get to edit a film is so important. I, I see a lot of filmmakers editing their own films, especially at the t at the beginning, mm -hmm. which is also a big mistake. Because if you edit your own film, you could drive yourself absolutely insane. <laughs> you could be clinically crazy. Yeah, from doing that, you should be on it, like put into into asylum, literally, because you're just you're going to lose your mind and you're going to think it's awful and yeah. get so depressed. And um, I think that's also a business mistake. Um. And also, you know, the, the way that you, the relationship that you make with people who are investing in your film is really important. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think being on the other side of that, I know that, sure. that, that Julio's your guy, Julio yeah. Lopez yeah. on the financing side, yeah. uh, being that guy for a lot of filmmakers, the thing I would, I just want them to remember is that no, my money doesn't grow on trees and, right. and, and yes, I would like you to care for it. Yeah. And that more money comes, the more accountable you are to it. Yes. That um, somehow there are, and this is beyond filmmakers. This is just growing up. Sometimes you get taught that 
the thing you want to do is you want to skate accountability and get away from responsibility. Mm-hmm. And then you're never to blame for anything. And that's good. And then you'll get, you'll be the one that gets money because you were never bad. Right. But, the, but in real life, and this is the trick, the exact opposite is true. Sure. The more responsible you are and the more accountable you are, the more money gets thrown at you. Yeah. It's like, Oh yeah. I know what that person's going to do. Yeah. Money, money loves certainty. Yes. Money which is hard in, in film. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is hard in film because it's so uncertain. You know, it's can, itself, it can be. Yes. A thousand yes. things can go wrong in the film. So the last thing we need is a filmmaker. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like I don't want to unpredictable. I don't want you to pretend that you're Quentin Tarantino for the sake of being, you know, eccentric. Yeah, and getting me and getting me to invest or something or getting an investment yeah, and then it yeah, falls apart like, as we're making it. Yeah, yeah. Be accountable. Be responsible. Yeah. If you say you're going to execute a thing, execute a thing. If yeah. you say this is what we're, the plan is, do the plan. And if yeah. it doesn't work out, be the first person to say I fucked this up. Right. Because I'll write you another check. The thing I want to say to filmmakers is you don't understand that I'm your angel. Yeah. I gave, I'm literally your angel. I gave you more money than your dad gave you (laughs) than your mom, than your sister, than any, like I am the person that's got your back in this world financially, at least. So so let's work together and be accountable, be responsible. So I I love that. And again, you say things that touch home with me uh, Mm. quite a bit. Um, (laughs) If you had one month to teach mm-hmm. someone just off the street, Nick, if yeah. you had someone a month to teach someone how to direct, what would be yeah. the first three things you'd teach them? If they said, hey, Nick, I've got a short film. I've got to direct it in one month. I've got the financing. I'm ready to go, but I have no clue what I'm doing. Can you make me competent? What would be the first three things you'd teach them? Um, I think that one would be to get to the, like we talked about, like get to the bottom of what you're what you're trying to say so that you're actually transforming something and you're actually like coming through to the other side on something, whatever it is. Cause we want to make sure that the audience has that experience along with you. Yeah. Um, two would be to form a visual, a visual language. I think a visual language is really important. Like how are you visually going to tell the story? Um, you know, study, study films, find a language that works for you, put a bunch of pieces together, however you want to do it. Storyboards, you know, take stills from movies, um, which is very time consuming though. So that might take a month in yeah. and of itself. to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a short film. So I think we, yeah. maybe we can pull it off. Um, and the, the, the third thing is really about um, creating, creating the environment where you can have, like you you want to cast great people or you want to cast great actors, bring on great crew and provide an environment for them where they can be great. That's your whole your whole job. All right. For those you know, listening let, at let home, be great. The, the, the Nick Frangioni three would be <laughs> find your voice, figure out what you really want to say mm-hmm. and make sure it comes through. Number two, learn the visual language of your film, storyboarding yeah. script, how you're going to shoot locations, et cetera. Third, build the environment, build an environment that lets everyone be the best version of themselves, cast, crew, producers, Etc. Those are really great pieces of advice. And Nick, you've been really great. I just have a few more questions if you have yeah. a little time. Yeah, of course. Uh, you said, uh, or you've quoted, been quoted as saying, 
my greatest enemy has often been myself, my <laughs> fears, doubts, and resentments. Uh, <laughs> what, uh, what resentments uh, were you talking about? What resentment, resentments were you carrying forward from your past? Uh, and, and when were you your own worst enemy? Oh, man. I, went, I didn't even know that I said that. I mean, um, well, I, my, own, my own worst enemy, especially like, for example, you know, I think a lot of the reason why I didn't set myself up for certain things, I'm, I'm very impatient. Mm-hmm. I've learned to be patient. But like with Roxy, you know, I was like, let's just make a feature. I don't want to learn how to do it. I want to make one. So let's make <laughs> right. one. And then we learn how to do it by making it. But um but I'm my own worst enemy because I set myself up for that. I mean, me drinking a six pack every night, it's my fault. I'm the one that said, make a feature. And then I'm, you know, I, I think I, I got angry with Roxy was a lot of me getting angry with people. And I learned that lesson because, you know, the truth was that I was flawed as a director. It wasn't their fault. It was me. Right. So if I'm setting myself up for something that I don't know how to do and then getting angry at other people that I, because I don't know how to do something, um, that's just, it's just silly. It's just a stupid thing to do. So, um, yeah, I can get in my own way in that regard. I can get in my own way in terms of my impatience. I really need to like, I have to, I have, I've learned that lesson that I, I have a tendency to jump to the jump ahead, yeah. which is good in a business. You need somebody like that in a business. I think you can look at, who look at, look at the future and figure out what you should do, but there's all this stuff in between yeah, yeah <laughs> that you got to yeah, yeah. do, you know, and um, a, that's just important too. It's a wonderful position to be in to to know what your blind spot is. Yeah, you know, it took. I'm still learning about blind spots, and you know, for me, being a former athlete, and mm. it kills me just to say the word former. But mm. you know, being competitive, I don't realize what my face is doing. <laughs> so I'll say the words, and then I'll say, "What was the big deal with that?" And they're like no, you were being a dick. And I'm like, wait, was my face dicky? And then right. we we'll say, well, yeah, your face was really dicky in that moment. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know I was making a dick face. I was, I was just saying normal words and I felt normal about it, but it came <laughs> off intense. Yeah, yeah. It came off like I was pushing, you know, right. or maybe it came off arrogant or whatever. Right. So we're all just washing our own back hair. We're watching yeah. our own back here, Nick. We're trying to be better people. Did you ever yeah. reconcile with the crew of Roxy? Were you able to ever apologize yes, to them? Or? I did. I called them all. I realized it and I called them all. It was particularly the actors. I would get really frustrated with the actors. <laughs> yeah. And I called all of them and I was like, it really had nothing to do with you. There was one actor after I, sh- after we shot Roxy, he, he cried. He was in the car with me and he cried and he said, I thought, I thought that I was a bad actor after working with you. Wow. And I thought that's really not the way you want to be as a director. You don't want actors to feel like that. Yeah. And I was able to tell him like, it had nothing to do with you. It was entirely my fault. I just didn't know what to tell you, but I didn't know how to t- direct you. Man. I didn't yeah. know what to do. That's a, that's, that's a good, my fault. Well, that's a good moment. He's, we get lucky sometimes when we have people in our lives that will just be honest with us, even sure. if it makes them cry. To be sure. honest, because it because it helps us so so much. Helps us I, you know, we you know a person where no one's able to tell you where you hurt them. That person's kind of lost. Yeah. So kudos to to that to that actor. Yeah. One of the reoccurring themes on 
this podcast is, you know, from our guests is talking about the dynamics of having someone in your life that's also creative that you're trying to work and build something with and the difficulty in that, sometimes the glory in it. I'm curious how you and Nancy make (laughs) this work. Is is there any advice you can give to the audience, people who are in relationships, maybe are married, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, have someone who has just as many ambitions in the same career field as as they do? Yeah. You know, about managing the relationship and making sure egos yeah. and ambitions don't get in the way. Yeah. I mean, but making Buck Run, Nancy and I had a we had a really hard time in our relationship. Um, and thankfully we worked it out afterwards and we're stronger for it, but it was really hard. Um, and also, but it's also really amazing. If you have a partner, if your romantic partner is also your creative partner, it's incredible to me. That's like one of the most, I'm so happy that that's the thing. And I know that Nancy is too. Like we talk about that all the time, but it's yeah. also, it's also like re- when, when you fight, you fight, you know, when you butt heads, you butt heads. So it's either really amazing or it's really hard. Um, but I think the thing that we really figured out after Buck Run was, was yeah, I mean, it's it's like what you're saying. I mean, you have to really be cognizant of what both people want at all at all times. Yeah. And be and you have to be each other's because you can, I think you can get really consumed creatively when you're at the head of something. You can get really consumed by it and it becomes its own relationship. You have you end up having a relationship with that thing that you're making. Yeah. Um and uh, you have to be aware of, I guess my bet, my biggest advice for people that are doing that is to take care of, take care of, of just take care of that relationship, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if there's a one size fit, fits all way of doing it, but fight for that relationship. We fought for our, for our relationship and we became out stronger because of it. And we focused on how can we do this better the next time? We didn't just keep, we're not just going to keep with the same way we did it, which ended up with us fighting. Why would we do that? Like, like focus on how you can do it differently in the future. I think that's really smart because you, I've met so many creatives where I say, well, they're, they're just never going to have a relationship because they're already married (laughs) to the thing they're trying to do. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and there's no space for anyone else. Right. And and they've gotten too comfortable. You know, they're, they're 35 now. It's like, Mm -hmm. just keep going. It's, yeah. It's not gonna That's work your out. relationship. That's going to be your relationship for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And then other people yeah. just figure it out. Like, like yourself, you're, yeah. you're a man of, of wonderful taste. And as we mentioned at the top of this conversation, we are uh, at the beginning of a new horizon. Yes. 2022. Yeah. And that means Oscar season is just around the corner. Sure. Can you give me your best three films of 2021? Oh man, see, I'm such a, I'm, I always do this. I never stay up with the times. It's like music, you know, like I, I, I always listen, you know, I'll find a song and I'll tell Nancy like, oh my God, this is an amazing song. She's like, that's a song from 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I always do this. I'm still I, I'm playing really... Blonde from Frank Ocean and that came out in 2016. Like I'll that's, play it like yeah. it came out yesterday. I am trying to even be aware of what's, what's happening right now. And like, can you remind me of what's out? 
and what's going on. And I maybe I've, it, I've well, seen I'll it or you, not. I'll tell you the best movie I saw this year. Yeah, was Come On, Come On. I haven't seen it. Joaquin Phoenix, and I forget the kid's name, but the kid, oh yeah, Gloria. The kid mm-hmm. is unbelievable. Then I found out this damn kid has a British accent. I'm like, <laughs> he's not. He he's British. I just I, I was blown away. He, he he played an American kid. Just I mean, he's gonna get you. Now, yeah. in fairness, I haven't seen Spencer yet. Okay. And I know that that's getting I haven't a, lot seen of, that either. a lot of buzz. Uh, but for me, I think the movie that sticks out to me the most is Come On, Come On. Um, the Humans was really good. I love yeah. the way Richard Linkletter was great in it. I, I, like, I love the way that, um, uh, not, I said Richard Linkletter, that's not the right Richard. Um I love the way that um, the movie was shot. It it gives you this illusion that there's a house, a two-story house that Amy Schumer and the rest of the cast. Oh, yes. They're climbing up and down. And it wasn't done that way. They had the two house. They they, they built a set and put them side by side. And the rest of it's movie magic. Right. You think they're going up and down these steps into these different levels. And they really just built two or three levels side by side. And it's a one set movie. That's so hard to pull off. Yeah, it's like uh, a it's based on a play, I believe. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. It yeah, was yeah. great. And who does? There's a movie. It's a foreign film called Who Does Salon, mm. that is very underrated. And yeah. uh, it's happening. I want to say in Turkey, maybe, maybe Syria. And it's about a woman who goes in to get her hair cut at, at her normal salon, and then gets set up. Um. Uh, and you, you get a good sense of sort of the religious conflict there between oh. the Shiites and the Sunnis. And, oh, and, wow. Um, I would say check out Huda Salon as well. So anyway, those are, those are my picks. And uh, if you want to text me your picks later, Nick, then yeah. <laughs> and I'll put them in the, I'll, I'll have Elise uh, put those uh, in the show notes so people can read Nick's sure. top three. So sure. just text those to me later. Yeah. Um, this has been a blast. I can't believe how much of, um, or how fast this has gone. And like we've been talking <laughs> for an hour. It feels like we've been on for 15 minutes. That means I'm learning a lot. I hope the audience is learning a lot. And if every interview for the rest of this year is like this one, then I'm in for a treat. And so, so is the audience. Can, can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media and on the internet and maybe even see some of your work? Yeah. I mean, you can go to, you can go to nickfrangini.com. Um, and that will give you, that'll give you, you know, the, the main site to, uh, Buck runs all over the place, you know, direct TV, any, any kind of on demand, um, iTunes, Amazon, Amazon prime. Um, we got on, now we're on Tubi. Um, so it's, it's out there. It's, it's, it's in a variety of places, YouTube, wherever you want to look. Um, and I am, you know, I got the website, I'm on Instagram. I'm still not really doing Twitter and I really should. Um, but Instagram is really like, that's kind of my thing. That's what's my, your hand, what's that's your handle on Instagram? It's just, it's just Nick under underscore Frangioni. That's all it is. And then YouTube is the same. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a YouTube. I don't, I don't have a YouTube channel. Oh, no. you didn't say you no, said, but the you, movie, can see. you said the movie was on YouTube. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, watched yeah. it on Amazon. So oh, cool. cool. So anyone uh, that wants to watch it for sure, for sure. It's definitely on Amazon. And, and yeah. if it costs money, don't trip, support independent film, spend the $3.99 and rent it. 
And it's worth it because you would spend that on a latte and the latte doesn't even like you. <laughs> it doesn't even know you. Like, like Nick likes you and he wants to help you be a better filmmaker. So go support indie film. And trust me, guys like him are going to turn around and support you when you make your film as well. Uh, Nick, we'll end on this. What was yeah. your New Year's resolution and what's a good resolution for filmmakers? Oh, my New Year's resolution. I really just, you know, honestly, this year I was just like, I was just like, it, it, you know, a lot of times you get to the end of the year, especially if you're an actor or filmmaker, you're like, this is the year. This is going to be the big year. And I didn't, and I've definitely done that in the past. And this time I was, I just, um, I guess it's kind of like I surrendered to whatever's going to happen. I just was like, oh, this is going to be, I could feel, it was like, I could feel that it was going to be good without having to say, it's going to be this, it has yeah, yeah, to be yeah. this. Cause I think you, when you get attached to whatever your year is going to be, um, you know, if you're attached to something, you're going to, you might drive yourself crazy and yeah. then you might try to do it. And then you, then you fall off the wagon trying to do it. It's like trying to work out. I saw a lot of people jogging yesterday and today. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not going to see you jogging in a couple of days. You're done. That's right. <laughs> they That's had right. all the jogging gear. They had all the proper gear. And I was like, you bought that. Yeah, you, you just bought, bought that. that. <laughs> you're going to start I mean, this year off right. Right. And then you're uh, going to be done. Life is a lot like a film though, Nick. Like sure. when it comes to New Year's resolutions, I used to be that guy that bought the brand new running gear and was running on the first day of the new year. <laughs> yeah. And then a, about six years ago, I found life design and also found a great book called the surrender project, which I think everybody should go buy. It's really great. And, but um, the life design thing was huge because it was like the development process for filmmaking. Yeah. Except you were doing it for your life. So what you do is you sit down with this piece of paper and you write down who are the five people you want to be around the most what are the five things you love doing the most? Can any of those five things make you money? If yes, wow. move forward. If no, go backwards kind of thing. Uh, yeah. How often do you want to work out? How often do you, you know, want to watch TV or read? Um, when do you want to wake up in the morning? When do you want to go to sleep at night? You write all this stuff down. It's critical to write it down. Yeah. Because if you didn't write it down, it's not a plan. It right. didn't really happen. It's <laughs> got to get out of your head and into the conscious space, into the dark yes. matter. Yeah. And once you write a plan down, then you're very unlikely to backslide on your jogging routine because mm -hmm. now you have planned that you will run every day at 7 a.m. to 7.30 a.m. at this location. Yeah. So the whole thing's done for you. Now you just have to get off your ass and go do it. Do it. Which is, which is hard enough, but it's really hard and nearly impossible if there's no plan. Yeah. If you have no plan to do it and don't know how you're going to do it and, and you haven't created an infrastructure for yourself so that you can do it. Some guys and gals are so busy with their kids and their husbands and their wives, et cetera. They actually have to break out the space to do it. Yeah. So when they try to do it in the new year, they're off work, they're out of school. So it's easy. Uh -huh. And yeah. then their regular life takes over and they're like, okay, I missed this day. It's no big deal. But then they miss two, three, four in a row. And then it's over. Yeah. Yeah. So go plan it out. And I like what you said, just surrender as well. Yeah. Surrender to these uh, expectations that other people have, figure out what you want to do and then plan and, you know, do the pre-pro and the development of your life accordingly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Film, film works in mysterious ways, I would just say. So yeah, you, sometimes you have to surrender to some things and find, find your flow. Find your flow, surrender yeah. to some things. It's a great place to end this conversation <laughs> and perfectly on tone with, with who you are. Brother, this has been a blast. And yeah, thank I just you. can't thank you enough for jumping on and, and doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is great. And Anytime thank you for doing this for filmmakers. Hey, we're going to keep doing it for filmmakers. We have a big year in front of us. And so, yeah. so stay tuned, keep your ear to the ground. And we'll be in touch with you soon, of course, as well. Best of luck in everything that you do you and Nancy and Julio together. Uh, hopefully we can work together in the future. Oh, um, yeah. But until next time, take care. Take care. Be good. <laughs> Bye. Peace. <laughs> You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative and the show will pop right up. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.bonsai.film and click Contribute. Contributions start at only $5 monthly. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. You can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film and you can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart. That's F L A M E I N U R H E A R T. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on services to explore a variety of offerings from keynotes and panels to pitch readiness assessments and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.